Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day, Lord, for sending your Son to be the one that serves as the one man wrecking crew, that brings to naught all that is done by the hands of men, so that it may be built up by the hands of God instead. Lord, we thank you this morning for the word that you give and ask that you would break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As the church year begins to come to a close, we have this Sunday and the next Sunday, and then we jump right into the season of Advent as we prepare for Christmas. And aptly so, between the very first Sunday in November, we begin with All Saints Day, and then at the end of the church year, the last Sunday in November, which is Christ the King Sunday, we have this picture of what the end times look like, what we look forward to, the things that we identify the end by. Now as Christians, with a hope that goes beyond the grave, we stand with a foot both on this side of eternity and yet still have one In the next, we straddle the line between the two and we have, and this is your $100,000 word for the day, an eschatological hope. Mm. (laughs) Now, I say that with purpose. Because as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we say things and we do things that do not make sense. We speak a language that is foreign to that of the world around us. And this morning, as we dig deep into our gospel text, and I would invite you to turn to that lesson from Mark 13 in your bulletin or in your Bible if you have brought that along with you. Jesus speaks of the temple as though it was a broke-down palace fit for the wrong kind of king. You see, this wasn't the first temple that sat within the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, this is the second, because the first that had been built by God's design and his careful instruction through Solomon's leadership, was destroyed 
When the people of God are cast into captivity and sent to live and exile. And so as they have returned back home and Jerusalem becomes this place of dwelling for their people again, Herod oversees the construction of this second temple. And so these stones are built up and they're inlaid with gold and the whole structure itself speaks to the magnificence of man. And in fact, it's one of the most impressive structures in the ancient world at the time. But when the castle becomes more important than the kingdom, we should start to question who is king. See, in Jewish worship, the Israelites would go and seek out the presence of God within the temple. He dwelled within the Holy of Holies, and only certain people, priests, had access to that presence of God. And so when an offering had to be made to atone for some kind of sin, guess where they went? Jerusalem, to the temple. And then they paid someone else to make that offering on their behalf. This was where they found God. And they associated this presence with wherever the Ark of the Covenant was located. And so they would travel far and wide to come to Jerusalem just to be there. But you see, the devil loves when we confine God to brick and mortar. The devil plays in our imagination when we begin to turn inwards and think, how great is our building? How great is our ministry? How wonderful are these stones? And the devil says, I've got them right where I want them. Because if our attention and our ambition is turned inward, then we seek to see those that still sit outside. And the devil would see us lose ground and influence for the gospel outside of these walls. The temple that Herod had built may have had some to do with their spiritual practice, but it was also a great status symbol within all of the other nations that they engaged with. Almost as though to say, you can crush us, you can break us down, you can scatter us across the earth, and guess what? We are still God's chosen covenant people. Look what we can do now. And as the disciples leave the temple, 
They have just heard Jesus praise the offering of this poor widow who gives everything that she has as she puts the equivalent of a penny in the offering box. And then they come out and blindly marvel at the magnificence of the temple. They proudly herald it. Look at how great this is. And yet they have no home within its walls. They are guilty by association. And even by their sheer social status, they were not the kind of guys that would be chosen to go into the innermost parts of the temple and offer the sacrifices. These are the guys that would have had to have stayed on this side of the line. But interestingly enough, when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the synoptic Gospels that see the same story and tell it in different ways, they are eyewitness accounts. And each one of these Gospel accounts records the same exact narrative. But in both Matthew and Luke, Jesus has already taught the people and reminded them that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The temple was yet another element of social hierarchy and division within the people of God. It was a place of exclusion and not one that was representative of the inclusion that we have within God's people. As he calls us his own. Our kids love to build with Legos. And earlier this week, they were blessed with a bin of new Legos, and it was so much fun to watch all six of them, from the littlest to the biggest, dive into this bucket and start to make things. But then the tears ensued. <laughs> well, they've got the piece that I want, and he smashed my... See, the kingdom of God is more akin to a bin of Legos than it is to brick and mortar and to that of Herod's temple. The next time you look at a bin of Legos, I want you to count how many colors sit within that bin, all mixed together, all with very unique and important roles to serve different shapes, different sizes, different purposes, all with the same goal in mind. We are built by hands that are bigger than our own. 
We are created and called out of the imagination of the infinite and the eternal. And we are always an ongoing work in progress and we're never finished until it's done. The call of Christ upsets the balance of power and breaks down the barriers that separate us from God and he does it brick by brick. So that not one stone shall be left standing upon another. Not only can God not be confined to a box, but he actively and intentionally works to break down anything that separates us from him. You see, this is the nature of law and gospel, where the law shows us our sin. It curbs our life and shows us how to live, and then it guides us in how we are to go. And yet sometimes the law speaks the words that we do not want to hear, and sometimes we feel crushed beneath its weight. And if we were just left there, then there is no hope. And the outcome is bleak and tragic, even if it is by our own hand. But instead, the nature of the gospel is that God enters into the picture and he creates something beyond imagination, something that can only come from the mind of God, and he sends his son as an infant to be the savior of the world. Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 10. And he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And then listen carefully here because he says, Do not Think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now as parents... We should be worried. He tells us today in our reading that brother will hand over brother to death. And children, you should be concerned too because he says father is child. And children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And then we say, this is the gospel of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. But if we just start and end there, the picture is bleak. And yet he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The heart of Christ beats in the chest of every Christian as we are being built up as living stones where God himself himself dwells because our hope is built on nothing less. In verse 11 he says, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say. But say what is ever given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So often we are paralyzed from speaking and sharing the good news of Christ. Because we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or maybe not give the right representation. And yet God says, simply show up. It's not your job to build a temple. It's mine. You're just a stone being built up. So don't be anxious about what you will say. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So that our hope is in the one man wrecking true that gives us solid ground to stand upon when we face trial, tribulation, and even when we stand in triumph. For that reason, the heart of this church and this body of Christ that gathers here is to walk with broken people through really hard stuff and to proclaim a gospel of being built up in Christ through acts of service, intentional discipleship, and invitations to worship. This is the way that God speaks in and through you. So that people know that you care and that this is a place where they can come and belong and not have to have it all together. Because we're not the ones who do the building. And matter of fact, in great irony and a great reversal the one that we place all our hope in is the same one who tears it down. And now we say, this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that he always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.